All right, if you've listened this far, you know the deal. The book that came out of this podcast is called How the Internet Happened, From Netscape to the iPhone by me, available wherever fine books are sold. Also, the podcast I do these days is called The Tech Meme Ride Home. Search any podcast app for Ride Home, and you should find The Tech Meme Ride Home, which is all the day's tech news every weekday in just 15 minutes. If you like this show, you'll love that one. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. This is Chapter 4, Supplemental Episode 8. Danny Sullivan is generally acknowledged as the expert on the search industry and search engine optimization SEO in general. Danny first got his start covering search all the way back in 1996, and for almost 20 years, he has covered search technology as it has evolved from the likes of Excite and Yahoo into the dominance of Google and into the emergence of social and mobile as the new frontier. Danny gives us a bit of his own background before we wade into the 90s search scene. We spend a lot of time discussing how and why Google grew to dominance in search. And towards the end of our discussion, Danny tells us where he thinks search technology might be going in the future. One small note, you'll notice that I'm not in my usual studio to record this episode, so I'm sorry if the sound quality is not as good as it usually is, but it'll be back to normal next episode. Don't worry, I get out of the way and Danny comes in loud and clear, so please enjoy this conversation with Danny Sullivan. Danny Sullivan, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, Danny, I, I hope you'll be able to um, give us uh, basically an outline of, of search technology as you've covered it for almost 20 years now. Um, but let's start by uh, by your background and how you got into covering search. Um, you're you're a, a journalist by trade and by education, correct? That's right. And so in the early 90s, you're in California working for, I guess, the Los Angeles Times and the OC Register? That's correct. So what is it that, what's the, what's the story or the, the events that lead you into investigating search for the first time and, and, and starting to cover that as a topic? Well, I had left the uh, Orange County Register uh, at the beginning of 1995, I think it was, um, and partnered up with a friend of mine to do web development. Uh, I'd seen that the newspapers hadn't quite figured out what they wanted to do with online, and uh, were, I always remember this one meeting we were at the register where they were debating whether they should go to Prodigy or CompuServe or AOL, and 
I had just come back from a conference where I'd seen the web and, and really felt like that was going to be the future and, and didn't want to miss out on it. So, you know, jumped into this web development uh, company to try to bring people online. And we focused on trying to develop uh, businesses in Orange County to help all sorts of businesses come online. And one of the things that we did as part of our, you know, packages and offering was to ensure that those people were listed. You know, we, we knew that that was going to be something people wanted, not just that they had a website, but that people could find them. And so at the time, we did the same sorts of things many people were doing then, uh, the submission to Yahoo, which was a directory then that you know, was run by humans and you had to submit to. Um, there were search engines like Lycos or Webcrawler. We made use of the meta tags, uh, the meta keyword tag that had just come out at that time or around that time and, and did it as best as you know, anybody thought that it could be done, uh, and, and that sort of publicity. And I had one client in particular who, you know, came in and, and just didn't understand why he was not number one for his business for whatever he was searching for Orange County. And I didn't really have a good answer for him. You know, no one really knew. You just did these these kind of few tips that were out there, and that was it. Right. So well, let, let, let me interrupt real quick. So at, at this period in the early 90s, um, the, the the quickest way to have a search engine find you was to go through their registration process? You couldn't rely on the spider to find you, that sort of thing? Well, no, actually. <laughs> and, and that's part of what, what I was trying to figure out. There were search engines like Yahoo where there were no spiders. It was all human review, and they would put you into where you needed to go. Um, and there were uh, other search engines that would go through and crawl the web, and people had assumed that they would do this instantaneous re response and get you up and going. And, and that is what my, my research that I started to do kind of put into a landscape. Um, I, I spent four months going through and taking one of our pages and making changes to it and watching how often some of these these crawler-based search engines, the ones that had the spiders and so on, would actually come to it and how long it took for them to reflect the changes and did the rankings go up, um, as well as looking at what was going on with some of these other human-powered services. Uh, and at the end of that, it was uh, April 1996, and I published what I called a Webmaster's Guide to Search Engines. And the goal of that was, you know, for me, I would learned a lot from other people on the web. So I wanted to help people understand how these search engines work from the point of view of someone who built a website and wanted to be found. And what the guide was telling people was that, you know, there were certain things that had a big impact. And, and in particular, your title tag, your HTML title tag, which was not something that was typically suggested as a important SEO tip. And we didn't even call it SEO then or, or just, just starting to begin that name. Um, that I was discovering that things like Lycos and Webcrawler didn't instantly come back to your web page. And in fact, some of them took months before they would come and revisit you. To whereas people just assumed they were constantly crawling everything that was out there. And I also tried to give people an idea of what the landscape was and the search engines I thought that were very important to pay attention to. Because today people, you know, recognize Google is important because it's such a huge player. And, you know, they, they focus on that in this sort of Google-centric universe. Back then, the um, search engines, it was hard to tell which was actually more important than the others. Yahoo was a standout. People understood that Yahoo was important, and it was worth the time going to submit there. And in fact, the, the, the submissions there were very important because if you didn't submit using the right words, 
and if a human being approved, you know, managed, if you submitted in the right way with the right words and a human being approved your submission, you were golden. You would do well for certain words. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't really give it a lot of care and didn't think about that and you got approved, you weren't going to get that changed and you were not going to show up in Yahoo because it was just so driven by, you know, just a few words that you submitted. It was sort of a card catalog system at that time. And, and so I... Was there anyone else that was doing this sort of research at the time? I, I mean, there must have been sort of uh, people, webmasters certainly, that were trying to reverse engineer this. But were, were you really one of the first that was like hacking away at this? Yes. Um, you know, to my knowledge, there, mm -hmm. <laughs> there may have been people doing it privately, but I don't, I don't recall them. Um, there was another guide from, uh, called the Webmaster T-Guide that was out and kind of lasted fairly briefly. It didn't really continue on. Uh, the people from a site called Search Engine News, you know, I remember seeing them about a year later and consistently going through and trying to focus on this sort of stuff as well. They were a paid membership site, though, so, you, you know, they, they had much lower readership. Um, so it really was, when my guide came out, it was one of the, the only guides, and it really was, to my knowledge, one of the first people who actually tried to to crack or break all this sort of stuff down and help people understand. And, and coupled with it was not just, here are the tips for the search engines, but these are the search engines you should care about. So what I did was try to say, you really do care about an InfoSeq and a Lycos because they are listed on the Netscape net search page, which was important at the time to send traffic. And I would say things like, you don't necessarily care about a Magellan um, at the or uh, an alley web or some of these other things because probably no one's using them. And that was important because some of these services um, took a lot of time to fill out their forms. It's been a while since I've looked at it, and I, I think it might have been the Magellan Guide, which was a web directory, if I'm remembering it right. It's been a long time. But, you know, it would be like a four-page application where you're picking all these categories, and, you know, it'd be like a 10- to 15-minute operation to figure out how to submit yourself to this service that probably no one was going to use. And so the, the focus here was trying to predict the winners so that people would then just focus on those sorts of things. Um, and that was the guide, and the guide went up, and then I just kind of continued with things from there. And do you, did you have a technic, technical or mathematical background at all that would have prepared you for, like, digging into the weeds of this sort of technical stuff? No, uh, I was an English major, although I was always interested in technology and always sort of an enthusiast. But mm -hmm. I'm not a programmer, I'm not a coder, and, and some of this stuff didn't really come into that. It was more, you know being more analytical in nature and, 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 and just looking at it. I mean, things have changed since then, and, you know, people try to try to figure out the algorithms mathematically if they could do it, but, um, you know, it really wasn't that sort of thing. Well, let's, let, let's dig into, you, you said that some, one of the biggest things you were doing was, was alerting to people who the important search players were at the time, and, and there was, there's a whole nest of them, so... As you start to cover this industry, obviously, to, to begin with, um, Yahoo from the very beginning seemed to jump to the head of the pack. And and why do you think that was? Yahoo's system worked better than most of the other search engines. The, the other search engines would crawl through web pages, and it was like they would sort through, and this will sound like a small number, but, you know, one or two million pages at a time. And when you're searching for something like travel, getting 
a many, many web pages that all just say the word travel didn't have a lot of relevancy to it. In contrast, when you would search at Yahoo and you would search for travel, it would be going through you know tens of thousands of matching websites that that they would have, and they would have categories of websites. So, you know, it would be typical you would search for travel and you would get a list of ten possible categories, and one of those might be travel agencies. And you go, okay, great. You click on the travel agencies link, and it shows you you know, 50 different travel agencies all listed. Because... And, and that was the, all very relevant. And right, and the core of the of the Yahoo product was that it was a human-curated directory, basically. Exactly. And so these other services were, you know, they were all banked on crawling and, and, and trying to match things but not always getting the relevancy that right. So the other search engines were great if you were looking for obscure things. Uh, and But then, you know... They would be great, but they're, they're neither none of them necessarily stood out. So you you were trying to find the needle in the haystack. Sure, you could use an info seeker, you could use a likeness, you could web crawler. They'd all be about the same. It wasn't until you had Alta Vista come along and take the size of the um, web uh, corpus or index that they had out there up substantially. I think when Alta Vista came along, it was indexing like 20 million web pages. By the way, the search engines today, you know, are probably doing over a trillion web pages. They, they mm-hmm. don't tend to talk about the numbers anymore. But back then, it was a big deal. And the other search engines then would be like one or two million. And so Alta Vista came along and really increased the odds that you could find the needle in the haystack. Um, and so that kind of led to its popularity. But it still didn't solve the issue of um, how do you find the most popular pages. That was what um, the, the system that Google really cracked and led to, you know, the rise that and popularity that it has today. Right. Well, so let's talk about that, because as bizarre as it might seem, you know, if you were there at the time, give us a little bit of insight about how search engines worked previous to PageRank. So essentially, as you've described, you're, you're helping webmasters by saying, all right, these meta tags are what's important. Search engine A it looks at the title tag. Search engine B looks at the keyword tags. Is it, is that basically how they functioned? Search engines back then tended to operate on what was called the, the location frequency uh, principle, and they would, if you were searching for a web page, they would try to find the web pages out there that had the terms that you entered being used fairly frequently on the web page and higher up on the web page. So if you search for something like travel. They would make an assumption that, well, I have a page over here that uses the word travel 20 times, which probably is more relevant than a page that uses the word travel just three times. And also, I can see that this page is making use of the word travel in the title of the page, kind of like a book would have a title. And therefore, it's probably more relevant than a web page that doesn't say travel in its title because, you know, obviously if it's not that important, you if it's something's important, you tend to tend to make a title reference to it. So um, the meta tags kind of came into play. They 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 were out there, but they weren't. Um, you know, they were never a situation where they were this magic bullet. Uh, and some you know, and they ended up dying off over time. But people sometimes focused too much on the meta tags and didn't focus on the page content and the copy. Um, the search engines also had other challenges like. Frames were very popular at the time. People would build their websites with frames, and the search engines had great difficulty understanding what was going on in the individual pages and making them come back. What Google did was say, we're not just going to look at the, the location and frequency of words. 
we're going to look at the way that people link to other pages on the web, and we're going to use that as almost like a voting system. And so if a lot of people are linking to Amazon, and in or near the link they're saying the word books, that helps us understand that that's like a vote for Amazon and that people are almost literally pointing and saying with their voices, books, this is a great place for books. And so we'll reward websites based on that. Now, PageRank in particular is actually one part of the whole system, and people will say PageRank, and they, they'll use it as a synonym for Google's entire ranking system, or they'll use it as a good synonym for Google's link analysis system, but really PageRank is about one particular thing, which is that they would look at all the links that were out there and try to calculate uh, a vote score, a numerical score for any particular website, if you will. And, and they would do that by figuring, well, some links are more valuable than others, so we'll weight them. But it was purely about the, the overall sort of weight of all these links and how much they should be added to to figure out which, which website should be rewarded. But that never meant that if you had a high page rank score that you necessarily ranked for everything. The, the context of the links was always taken into account as well. So, you know, PageRank is popularly described as having a scale of 0 to 10, and there's still places where you can actually see the numbers for the websites and how Google re reward, reports it um, externally. But, you know, you would have cases where a PageRank 5 website would still do better than a PageRank 9 website because the PageRank 5 website was about a particular topic. Okay, so I'll, I'll stop using, I'll, I'll use the algorithm instead of, of PageRank. Um, but before we do talk more about Google, um, so if, if we posit that, that Yahoo was generally, at least initially, um, a directory, um, who, in your opinion, which site was the best search engine before Google came around? Like pure search using their own sort of algorithms, that sort of thing. Well, and so that... You know, you have to make that division. If you start then saying, talking about search engines as, as we popularly do, which mm -hmm. were the ones that crawled the web and found it automatically. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, the best one um, was probably AltaVista before Google. And then if you go before AltaVista, you had about two years or so. You, you could have picked Lycos or InfoSeq. They were all, I think, about fairly equal. Um, but, you know, AltaVista was really the one that came along that changed things up because they indexed so many more pages. Um, and, and Yahoo maintained its popularity, but it wasn't a crawler-based service. And in fact, Yahoo for a very long time still remained the most popular search engine or search engine directory, even even in the face of Google. You know, the, the most popular service that people were using um, to, to search for stuff. Because people don't tend to think, oh, is this a search engine directory or, or search engine right. search engine? Right, right, right. And so, but when Google came along, it... It grew in popularity, and when you look at the numbers, it formed what I, I call the, the Google AltaVista X, where you can see all the traffic from AltaVista flowing into all the traffic from Google. It became you know, the, the new popular service for the sort of more hardcore searcher, the searcher who had a lot of search needs that a directory didn't do well with. And then, of course, over time, it overtook you know, Yahoo itself. Do you remember when you first heard about what would become Google, um, like when you encountered the technology for the first time? You know, I think I'd had a friend that had mentioned it, and I think I'd seen it on a few forum threads. Um, so started looking at it, but I don't, I don't like remember the precise moment that I, I kind of looked and said, "Ha, that's it." Uh, it's even hard for me to think about when I first switched over to starting to use it. 
um, like so many others, I, I, I remember doing that, but it was always this thing, and, and you commonly hear from people saying, well, I used to use AltaVista, but now I use Google. AltaVista had a very strong lock on a lot of people. Um, you know, you, you were very happy with it, and you, you kind of stuck with it, but then over time, Google did sort of get better. But, you know, it, it certainly by the 1998, I can recall writing a, a story. It was called Counting Clicks and Looking at Links, and I was profiling Google along with a couple other services out there, but especially Google as this is a new generation of search engine and one that you really need to pay attention to because, you know, they're, they're doing some extraordinary things improving the rankings. Um, I'm going to do my best to, to frame this but not ask a leading question, but because uh, we're in a period where I started to enter the industry, so I can remember the thinking was that, like in 97, 98, when, when the, the search engines are moving into portals and things like that, that not that search was solved, but that there wasn't room for another search engine. You know what I mean? And so I can remember, like, being skeptical that, okay, so th these people... It was almost like because search had just congealed into this portal model and it was as good it was as it was going to get like you almost couldn't feel like that there was a way to do it better and then once you used google it was like oh my god i what i've been doing before this wasn't even close um so what did you as a as a an industry observer did you feel like sort of a tectonic shift like okay now we're in a next generation of what this technology can do um, yeah, I mean, that was part of the reason why I wrote the article, but it wasn't so much like I thought the other players couldn't do that as well. Other people had been using links to some degree also. The, the, to me, the, the big thing that was happening was that the other search engines no longer focused on search because they didn't feel like they could make money off of search. We didn't have paid search ads like we do now. We didn't have AdWords. We briefly um, had an experiment in 1996 with uh, the OpenText search engine that was received badly and in the face of the bad publicity, you know, everybody kind of thought, well, I guess you can't sell search results, which makes it difficult to make money off your search engine. So, you know, by the time you had Google come along, people started doing all this portal stuff and they kind of took their, ball, their eye off the ball of search. So I think what surprised me really was not that the technology was so great, but that in a short period of time, people stopped talking about search engines and started talking about Google. And I can't remember the first reference to, you know, who said, I Googled that. There's a, a famous column, I think the New York Post, and it was something like, ladies, have you Googled that date? And I think it was around 2001, uh, where you, you hear people talking about Google. And I definitely remember around that time, because I would speak, and I would speak to, say, librarian conferences and so on, that I would still talk about all the other search engines out there, and I was conscious to speak of search engines, and there were still other search choices that you could use. And at times, some search engines might be better for certain things, but it really was becoming this sort of Google, Google, Google world. And you know, I'm dated now, and I can remember the the Brady Bunch, which is what I grew up on. But for the for people who still may remember that, there was always sort of this the, the middle child Marsha who was a uh, sorry the middle child Jan who was always upset because everybody seemed to her to be focused on her older sister Marsha. She's always like it's always Marsha, 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 and and that is what I saw happen with Google. It was like suddenly people started talking about Google, Google, Google as if nothing else existed. And in fact, you know sometimes Google would take this criticism 
different things, even though their market share was much smaller because people just focused on them so much and, you know, that, that they were just seen as, you know, that was where the future was going to be. And, of course, that's where they went. And let's talk about, because you, you touch on it, that they, I mean, there's two things that Google does that are revolutionary, which is kind of, quote unquote, solve search, make it better but also then create a business model around search and they don't create it actually let me let me correct my words there because that comes from go to which becomes overture so uh, give us a little bit of background on that on how we got the the, the rise of overture the, well the rise how how uh adwords and and the business model around search advertising arises. It, it comes from what GoTo starts, correct? Right. Like I said, you had um, you had uh, Open Text come along and do this experiment in '96, and and it, it 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 didn't go well. People reacted to it badly, so they backed off from it. And then two years later, you had Bill Gross with GoTo say, we're going to do this, and we're going to run a service that's entirely based on economics, and people who want to pay to be listed first will be listed first. Um, and by that point, I guess the market had matured more, and, and people were not going to immediately reject that kind of an idea, and in fact, they carried on with it. And in their, you know, first they started as a destination site, and then they started to partner up with other search engines so that... You know, if you did a search, you got the go-to results, maybe a few of them at the beginning, and then you got the regular search results after that. Um, and so that really allowed Google to then feel like they had the you know, political cover, if you will, to do the same sort of thing. They didn't know how they were going to make money. And you can look back at some of their, their early papers, and they even kind of poked at a go-to model as if that's not the way to make it happen. But you know, ultimately, they did the same thing. They sold paid search results. So what you're saying, what you're saying is, is that they felt like because GoTo was going out there and making these partnerships, so that paid links were starting to show up in, in traditional search engines, then they felt like, all right, it's it, it's becoming a, an accepted thing, so we can experiment in the same thing. Sure. Um, the and and they kind of started out a little gingerly because I remember this really clearly. Like there weren't at least as I remember it, initially, the, the links along the side of Google, it started out with just the two or three at the top. And I don't even know if that was an auction model. They did a couple things. They, um, they had first what they called their text banners, um, which were really the ads at the top. And I think they were trying to sell those maybe on a cost per, you know, CPM or cost per impression basis. It's been a while, so I'd have to go back and look at it. And then I think they opened up an auction model um, eventually. And then what really changed everything is when they went to a self-service model, and then anybody could go in there and, and buy that way. But the, you know, the other big claim to fame that they have is they came up with a system where they didn't just let the person who paid the most money rank first. They did this quality score system, and, and initially it was fairly simple. The person who would win would be the person who was – willing to pay the most and get the most click-through rate. So in that way, somebody who was willing to pay $10 per click but only got one click every, say, 100 searches, you didn't reward them over somebody who was going to pay $10 per click but was getting clicked on every other search, right? Because ultimately you're making more money off the, the other person even if they were willing to pay less. 
And Google, you know, crafted a message that this was all about rewarding the relevant advertisers, and that's true. But it was also relevant, you know, all about also about making sure that Google was making as much money as it could, you know, off these systems. Um, and so, you know, that, so that was their system that they came into. But the 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 go to model, which becomes Overture, and then become gets purchased by by Yahoo around 2001-ish, um, that is essentially the model that becomes AdWords. So uh, I, I should probably do more research into this, but how is it, does, does Google license that? Because essentially the money machine that is Google came from GoTo. And well, no. So, I mean, GoTo simply popularized the idea that you could sell listings okay. on a pay-per-click basis. So Google did a thing on pay-per-click basis as well. But, but Google's system was fundamentally different from GoTo's system in that they didn't just say, you can pay and whoever pays the most is ranked top. It was whoever we calculate to be most valuable will rank at the top. And so with a GoTo system, if you were going to pay $100, you would be number one. And you, Google's system, if you were going to pay $10, you could still be number one if Google's system decided you were still more valuable. So, you know, Google had a different approach as to how they went about putting together their AdWords system. Now, ultimately, Overture decided that their patents were still being infringed, and they sued Google, and, you know, it went to court, and I can't remember, honestly, off the top of my head, if they won the case or if they just settled, but it all got sorted out and, and it didn't cost Google very much money. I think it was like $30 million or something. Right. So it wasn't an issue that they had to license patents or anything like that, at least no. as, as you remember. Or they, the settlement may have been, we're going to license the patents, but mm-hmm. it was not, whether it was a settlement or a go-to one, I can't recall, but it was not an issue in slowing Google down at all. Mm-hmm. Um. This is sort of a wide open question, um, but I, I spoke with George Bell of Excite uh, last week or two weeks ago, and uh, I asked him if he thought that there, in retrospect, if there could have been a a strong number two to Google, because things like Excite, AltaVista, Lycos, they go under pretty quickly after the dot-com bust, and... I'm just wondering, in your opinion, like, had one of the other search engines adopted more of the, the voting model of link stuff and, and so could have matched Google's uh, results and things like that, could there have been a, a strong Pepsi to, to Google's Coke? Yeah, I think there could have been. Is there um, is there know, a reason why? Yahoo, Yahoo potentially could have done it. They took a long time before they got their solution into place. There was a short period of time when everybody was like, I think it was Yahoo, Google, and I can't remember the third, but they weren't that far off from each other. Uh, and then Google just pulled away. So, you know, if, if, if another search engine had come out with really strong results and really paid attention to search and wanted to meet Google, you know, head on with it, yeah, potentially we'd be looking at a different system than we have today. And certainly, I think in, the, in Europe, it would be much better. And, you know, in the U.S., Google has 65% of the search market based on, say, something like Comscore stats. If you look at publisher figures, they'll tend to say, well, Google's more up to 80%. You know, and, and there's different reasons why the, the range is high. But, you know, you go into Europe and Google typically is like 95%. You know, there, there, are, there isn't another search engine. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. 
Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, and I'm going to ask you a question about that at the end. Um, the, when, when, it becomes, when it becomes Google's entire ballgame, essentially, obviously, there's Bing and, and Yahoo still exists and things like that. Um, again, from your point of view, you know, at, at some point you're covering an industry where there's like this arms race between this search engine that maybe has now indexed, you know, 50 million more pages and has this new sort of algorithm and things like that. Um, what changed for you in terms of covering the industry? Is this the period where now it's sort of like it's the it's the creation of SEO as an industry and, and you're now there's one algorithm that you're trying to figure out and, 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 and cover and help people figure out, right? Sure. But it's not, um, so this goes back to the mathematics question that you asked early. For very basic search engines, you could go through and try to figure out what are all the exact formulas and figures and, and so on to create the perfect page. But in my view, that very quickly became useless. And the reason, there's a bunch of reasons. That there's a lot of factors that are involved, and the factors change a lot of the time. And you know, we had in like '98 a, a tool that came out. It was known as Web Position, um, and it originally tried to help people check their rankings on search engines. But then it tried to kind of help people understand. Well, you need to have a page of 500 words, and you need to use the words here. You need to use the words there. And people would use the tool, and then they would not be able to understand why even though they did all the things they were supposed to do, they still didn't outrank you know, a page that didn't seem to be perfect. You know, my response was that the perfect page tools you know, can't predict all these other things that you just can't, you can't solve for. For example, the authority of a website. You know, these days, websites are all seen to have certain amounts of authority and reputation associated with them. So even if I give you the exact recipe, if I could, you know, mathematically of what the exact perfect page is for a particular search engine, if you can't match that with a good authority website, you still don't do well. You know, and or you did, for a time you had Google do things and still does some of this stuff where, you know, they, they would kind of like call it like a sandboxing where a new site simply wouldn't rank well. Well, they, maybe for the first week or two it would rank well, then we get thrown into a sandbox almost like, you know, you, yeah, you got to go play in here for a bit and we'll see if we're missing you. We'll see how people are dealing with you and then maybe we'll kind of let you out. Or you have pages these days where if they're brand new, they'll get almost a, a ranking boost, you know, especially if they're for, for popular topics. 
Um, we have personalization these days that's going on where everyone's seeing different search results. Even if you're logged out of Google and even if you're not, you know, got any cookies running, the results that you see can be different from somebody just five miles away based on their geography. So, you know, the and now I lost track of the original question, but the the the, the ranking algorithms and the, the SEO advice or whatever really, I think in my view, has shifted much more towards helping people understand what the general and commonly accepted best practices are. Right. Well, let me, and, let me, let me ask it a different way then, because, um, you know, as a follower of, of like SEO news a little bit myself and things like that, it's like, uh, SEO is a, is a major industry and, and, and you've covered that as much as covering search engines and, you know, just as as a somewhat casual observer, it almost feels like SEO has evolved into this weird sort of like um, codependent relationship where where everyone's trying to figure out the great Oz, and every time the great Oz is angry, they're worried. You know, a, a penguin change or a, a a panda algorithm change or whatever. Um, when it changed to just being everyone wanted to know how to play nice with Google. Um, did that change how you did your job and, and what you were covering? Not so much for me. I mean, this is going back to, I mean, where to pick it up with it. I think the split that you encountered more isn't because of what Google was doing, but it was because you have different flavors of SEO, in particular you have the black hat SEO. And so early on I, I was coming across people who were doing, you know, what were then called doorway pages, where they were just making content for a search engine's algorithm, regardless of what website it was on. And I remember scratching my head thinking, why would you do this? Because my mindset was really like, you're a publisher, you have a publisher website. And so this was a flavor of SEO, which was, I don't really care about what happens to people after they get to the website. I just want to get the traffic. And so, you know, you, you've had this split and you've had the people who were wanting to chase the algorithms who will do whatever they can for every little loophole to kind of go with it. And that is oftentimes the same source of people who do have to think, well, what's the great Oz going to do now, whoever the great Oz is? I mean, we've had a time when Excite would make a change and people would be like, Excite has destroyed my business. And then you have other people who are running websites and they – oftentimes don't think about the search engines and some of the things that they can do and should be doing that will, you know, kind of enhance what they're already doing for, for better results. So it's very akin to, you know, you're doing public relations versus you're doing a guerrilla marketing stunt. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about sort of the codependence, it, it depends on how to do it. Uh, I don't think that search engines are codependent on the SEO industry. And I also think that people can be confused about what the SEO industry really is, you know, right? because you, you have an SEO industry where you have people who are working with actual publishers to enhance, you know, real good content that, that's out there and try to make sure it can be found. You can have other people who will be considered SEOs by some who are responsible for, hey, will you link to me? Or, hey, I'm going to, you know, do all that credit email that you get, and people will call them SEOs, and I, I wouldn't count them as SEOs. Because because um, but, good good SEO to you is just making it easier for a user uh, through a search engine versus someone that's just trying to game a search engine. Yeah, although 
you know, to me, good SEO is not really about I'm trying to make sure that the user can find good content. I'm, that's, that would be great. <laughs> and I, I think that a good SEOs will be closely aligned with that. But to me, good SEO is about ensuring that good content can be found. You know, that, that, you know, that, that it is, and, and that good content can be found and that the right people will find that content. That's the conversion aspect of it. So, um, and it also tends to be working within the search engine's rules and listings and accepted practices. Um, there'll be debate on that because you'll have some SEOs who are like, well, I don't care. It's, it's, it's everyone for themselves, and I'm still going to count myself as an SEO. And it's like, well, they can't, I suppose. Right. There's no way that you would know this, but in your, as, as best as you can estimate, how different is Google's algorithm now based on what it was uh, almost 20 years ago? Is it still based on the same principles, or it, has it gone through so many changes in terms of of additions, subtractions, evolutions, that maybe it's a completely different beast at this point? It is a completely different beast. It may still incorporate some of the same parts of it, too, though. It's sort of like saying... How different is the um, engine in today's VW Beetle versus the engine from the VW Beetles of the, of the 60s? They are radically different engines that both use gasoline and both use, have pistons, right? So it, right. They, there are still some fundamentals that are in there, but they're more efficient. And in fact, that's an analogy I've used a lot to try to explain something that happened with Google last year. They unveiled what they called their, their hummingbird system mm -hmm. and and people have misinterpreted hummingbird sometimes as being like one of these panda updates or these other things it's not a filter hummingbird was literally a rebuilding of the google search engine it is as if they said right let's take that vw engine that we had before and we're going to drop it out of the beetle and we're going to take it all apart and we're going to put it all back together and it's still going to be able to use gasoline but you know it can also be powered off of liquid propane gas and We've got solar panels now that'll feed into it, and it can, you know, so it can process different kinds of fuels. And we're also adding in fuel ejection, and we're gonna, we're gonna have a new kind of oil filter and a new kind of air filter that goes into it. And so they rebuilt their search engine so that they had one that they felt like could be better modified and adjusted as they went forward with stuff. But it was still an engine ultimately. Well, before I ask you uh, my final question. Um... And by the way, this is not a timely interview. I'm not going to put this up tonight or tomorrow or probably even this week. But I do want to ask you about the the discussion today about how the European Union is considering uh, possibly recommending that Google break up and things like that. What are your thoughts in terms of the whole question about Google being a, a Microsoft-style monopolist or something like that? Um, is Is it something that... Google should fear, and is it something that you think is maybe necessary? Um, you know, I think the thing from today in Europe is probably where some of this stuff should have started out from the beginning, that a lot of time and energy was wasted by Google's search engine rivals complaining that they didn't do as well as they thought they should in Google's search engine, which is the equivalent of a... Um, television network being upset that another television network isn't promoting all their shows and programs. You know, it's almost farcical that this much attention has been allowed to be, be contributed to that. It's not, you know, if you, 
if you want to be a successful search engine, you don't become a successful search engine by demanding someone else's search engine promotes you. And, and in fact, that's not the job of a good search engine to be pointing people from a search they just did to another place that then forces them to do yet another search. Right. And but then just as a devil's advocate, even if, as you stated, in, in Europe, it has over 90 percent. So it's, it has a, almost a monopoly position. Yeah, but that's not what that. So I'm talking about what's happened before we've gotten to what's got announced today. Mm-hmm. But what's happened before people be saying, well, Google, you know, Google is unfairly limiting other search engines from being successful. Okay, um, because they're not promoting these other search engines, and as if that has somehow been keeping the search engines down. Google didn't get to the position where it is in Europe because it managed to avoid some other search engine holding it back. If those other search engines are popular, those other search engines attract audiences. They don't depend on a rival to point traffic to them. Now, that's separate from whether or not Google has a monopoly. In the U.S., Google itself admitted it had a monopoly with only 65% share of the the um, the 65% share of the, the search market. But monopolies aren't illegal. Illegal monopolies are illegal, and that's part of what all this stuff is going on to try to determine if Google is using its monopoly status to do things that are deterring competition or to the negative benefit of consumers. So today's news, you know, and what the the EU parliament or whatever may propose is the idea of breaking up Google as a search company. That's actually more substantial. And in fact, I I wrote like this sort of fictional book about it in 2007. I talked about what it would have been like if Google was forced to divest itself of potentially conflicting interests. And there are very strong arguments as to why Google should break that break up in different ways uh, on a competition standpoint. Um, because when you run a search engine that also is giving away a free analytics program, you get a lot of data about which websites might be doing well and data that perhaps other search engines can't get, which means that they cannot maybe rank their search engines in a certain way. And if you're allowed to give away free Wi-Fi or you're allowed to give away free broadband access, again, you're getting more data that's flowing in. And if you're allowed to run a program where people can then measure conversion on their websites, then you're getting further data. And if you're allowed to run a popular browser that can potentially let you understand which websites are getting certain amounts of traffic, you get even more data that can flow into your search engine. So there are some very strong arguments that people who run search engines might not be allowed to run other kinds of services, especially for free, because it gives them data that a pure search service can't compete with. But that's not an argument that anybody's ever made to Google. And none of the other stuff we've had with the FTC or these other search engines have been that. They've been making kindergarten arguments and and wasting a lot of political capital. But in Europe, this, this really was a surprise that somebody seemed to be thinking in a higher higher level over there and, and maybe they'll do something. Although, you know, whether it actually goes through, I don't know. Do you think that Google's worried that, that they might be on the precipice of something? I would think that Google's very worried about this. Hmm. It's a whole nother it's a whole nother level of, you know, what they would view as antagonism towards them. Hmm. Well, our, uh, final question then, um, you know, uh, the tendency would be to ask, you know, where search is going in terms of the 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 world of of social and and mobile and things like that. But I'm my question actually is: Is there a next generational leap in search that maybe it is um, 
you know, something like a, a, an assistant like Siri or, or voice stuff. But it, it, can you foresee what might be something that would make Google look like it was old hat, like the old search engines were in the 90s? Uh, predictive search is certainly one of the things that we could do that would do that to them, except that they're not allowing that to happen. That, that's probably one of the most exciting things that were happening is where you have things like Google Now or Cortana trying to give you answers to stuff before you actually do the search. And, and the mobile itself could be a platform where, you know, because you have interesting data that comes in when people have mobile devices, you're able to craft search results that are different than ordinary search results. Um, so that would have been the next revolutionary step that I would see. I think Google's been very nimble in that front and not letting it happen. Um, after that, you know, it's hard to say. It just really is. <laughs> right. You know, there, there, there always does seem to be other things that come along. But, and Google likes to argue that, well, someone's in a garage right now working on the next Google that, that, that will inevitably kill us. But the, the difference is people understand that search is a really valuable product now. So if someone's sitting out there in a garage working on a new product like Google did, they probably don't get the opportunity to just come along and be a rival to the other existing players in the way that Google did. And in fact, that's not what Google wanted to do. When Google came out, they went to all the other search engines to try to get the search engines by the search technology. And the other search engines didn't see search as, as a profit center. So they, they, you know, they told them, you know, no, we're not interested. Right. I specifically asked so, George Bell about that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, Google's not going to let anything promising just slip around like that, that, that and not pay attention to it. That if, if it's in search, you know, I think they're going to pay attention to it. So I think it makes it much more difficult for somebody new to come along and say, well, I've got this, this secret type of system. I and mean, maybe somebody will really be a genius and manage to pull that off. But, you know, it's, it's tough, and it probably is more successful working with an existing search platform than just sitting out on its own. In contrast, the things that I think Google really gets flat-footed on is something like uh, what we saw with social, where they tried to do some things with social, but they really didn't see either the money in it or recognize innately some of these other services that, that really were going to take off, and, and hence we have something like Facebook. Okay, one, and, that one... Might also be, and that might also be part of their weakness, which is when I talked about the different fuels you could use, one of the fuels that I think is going to help as we go forward and try to keep getting relevant search results is the social signal. And I think that Google is kind of stuck in that they don't right now have deals to more efficiently take in data from a Twitter or from a Facebook. You know, and they've got their Google Plus stuff, but they don't, they don't have some of this other data that might be useful to them as well. Okay, one more question. I promise this is the last one. Um, you, you, you've been covering search for almost 20 years, and, and you sort of got into it accidentally. Are you still as interested in it and, and fascinated in, in search and, and this technology as, as a subject uh, as, as you were almost 20 years ago? Sure. Um, and in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited in the sense of the, the predictive search because it's been the first time in ages where I have seen something that's really made me feel go, made me really go, wow, you know, that, 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 that they're doing something different. I've had any number of search players come along and promise a big, huge revolution, and, and it's the same old, same old. And you've had lots and lots of incremental things coming along. But this area of getting the predictive search as well as this movement into answer extraction, providing direct answers, um, that's all 
that's all very exciting. So it's interesting to see where it all goes. Well, uh, Danny Sullivan, thank you for coming on the podcast and, and laying that all out for us, especially for people that might not even uh, remember a world before it was all Google. Sure. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at nethistorypod, and my personal Twitter is at brianmcc. Thanks for listening.